Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 651, and together we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook, community, books, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and find everything else at www.radio.com. So we're going to continue our look through the legacy of Star Wars as we examine part two of our top 10 most important moments in Star Wars history. This week, we continue talking about iconic movie lines and scenes, the one person who defined Star Wars, the importance and impact of The Mandalorian, Star Wars in real life, plus other individuals, characters, and maybe a few surprises before I ask you to share your thoughts. I'll then have our Disney trivia question of the week and more updates at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Grab your blue milk, a fuzzy tauntaun, the drink, not an actual tauntaun, and cuddle up next to your favorite little Ewok as we continue our list this week in part two of our look at the top 10 most important moments in Star Wars history. We're going to have some fun, learn a few things, and then look to you to share your opinion as well. Enjoy. All right, I think we're on. Ryan, your next one? Is that right? Well, this is the last one on my list, uh, and it's actually to go along with my last honorable mention I just threw in there, and that's we're going back to the Phantom Minutes, boys. This is um, I don't think people understand, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the old guy card here for those people who don't remember the release of the Phantom Menace on May nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Um, there has never been hype for a movie quite like the Phantom Menace. Like I think the Force Awakens was was good, but you know, it's still in 1999. We still had what I call shared media. You know, and nowadays there's so much content and media out there. There's a different streaming service everywhere. There are there are Emmy level television shows that are just absolutely mind blowing that none of us will ever see because there's also 15 of them over here. And then when it comes to box office outside of the MCU and Star Wars, there's not a lot of shared movie experiences that we're having. But in 1999, go all the way back to 1999. And the idea that there was another Star Wars film coming after 16 years without one, the hype for that film, we all still had that shared movie going experience with in 1999 with the Phantom Menace and whatever you think of the film uh, is, is, is kind of secondary to this point. But the merchandising has never been matched or topped that that was literally everywhere. You could not eat at a fast food restaurant. You could not uh, drink a soda. You could not go to the grocery store. You could not go anywhere without the Phantom Menace, Watto, Little Anakin, Qui-Gon. They were literally everywhere. The merchandise, the, the toys. This was like George Lucas 1977 on triple steroids with this merchandising and the hype and the opening night and the crowd reactions go back and and people calling movie phone to try to buy tickets ahead of time. People trying to download the trailer on QuickTime. And it was just the. I think I went 
and, and, and was, my dad was just getting mad at the computer. Why won't this trailer load? I can still remember. And he, I said, I thought you were going to show me the new, the new star Wars movie. And he's like, I'm trying to get it to work. And just all of that hype. I think whether you are still a hardcore star Wars fan or you were back then, that hype surrounding that is one of the top moments in star Wars history, because I don't think it has been matched since. And really, you know, I'm sure empire strikes back and return of the Jedi had that, but I don't know if there's been a movie before that, that had this level of hype, merchandising, excitement, news stories. I mean, it is, it is unreal to think about, but those who weren't around there or weren't paying attention, I'm sure there are people that aren't Star Wars fans that are listening to this and go, yeah, I remember I was trying to, I was trying to just get a bag of Lay's and there was Watto all over my bag of Lay's that I don't think it will ever be matched ever again. And I don't think anything had ever been like that. So May 1999, the release of the Phantom Menace was honestly a part of cinema history too. No, I can confirm that. And you're right. And I, I mean, when that trailer came out, I will still argue that the Phantom Menace original trailer, which aired first on entertainment tonight, was the greatest trailer still ever. And at the end, we saw some sort of red horned creature with a double bladed red lightsaber. You had to go to see Meet Joe Black or Meet the Joe Water Black. Boy yes. if you wanted to see that trailer on the big screen, which I did. I didn't care about Brad Pitt. I cared about seeing whatever that red lightsaber double wielding person was. And then when Toys R Us had, did its thing, I remember running into Toys R Us and there was this person in front of me grabbing rows and rows of action figures and dumping them into carts and running and buying all of them. And I just remember thinking, come on, hopefully all he got was Jar Jars. <laughs> and maybe that's some of the ones that you still have, Ryan. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so it was you actually, <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, it was like nothing I'd seen before. I still have in my attic, I still have a Padme Amidala Pizza Hut box. Now the pizza's gone. Sorry, Lou. But it's it's uh, there's there was so much stuff. It was amazing. In fact, Lucasfilm sometimes points back to that as why they kind of cut back because for Attack of the Clones, there really wasn't much of anything for a really long time. They didn't really have now when Revenge of the Sith came out, there was a huge breakout. But I agree with you. The hype for that was unlike anything else. And and actually, actually, by the way, that and the special editions is how the 501st got started, too. I. I remember, it's funny, you just rekindled a memory. I remember my brother, who's six years younger than I, um, I was still practicing law then, and he came to, um, he and my father were there in in my office, and I had just downloaded the trailer, the, the QuickTime, or the real player version, whatever it was. You know, after like watching the little thing go, you only have three and a half more hours to finish your download. And we watched this with this incredible... And we were like crying, hugging each other because Star Wars was back in that same thing between the music and some of those things which ended up becoming so so iconic from, from that that feeling that we had that Star Wars had returned with this little grainy thing on my, you know, Windows 98 PC that I was running um, was like the greatest gift having having Star Wars returning again. And mm-hmm. I did have a, I had a lot of merchandise. I thought oh. I thought I was getting ahead of the game. I was being the smart one. All of you who bought my Star Wars um, Phantom Menace stuff at the garage sale, you're welcome. You know, there's a uh, in this. I talked about it at the beginning, and a lot of the reason why for a lot of things that we do, right? The first time you ever go to Disney World, the first time you ever do certain things, you almost spend your whole life sometimes trying to recapture that feeling, and actually. There's this toy store in Texas. It's called Holocron Toy Store. And they sell carded in the card 
And for the prices it was back in 99, I think it's like $6 for a figure. Uh, like it just came off the shelf, Phantom Menace merchandise. And I bought just like for, to for me and my son to have like 10 figures and different things from that era. And they came in the mail and instantly I was a kid again. And it was just weird. Like I, I was thinking about all the trips to the grocery store. What I asked my mom, Hey, don't we need like more like chips or, or something like, let's go to the store. And she's like, no, we just went to the store yesterday. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see the Phantom Menace toys again. I wanted to see there was a big Naboo starfighter hanging from the ceiling at the local Walmart. I remember that very vividly. And that that Phantom Menace hype is why it's still my favorite movie. And, and I, I had I held this was like about about six months ago. I held these figures in the card from this toy store in Texas. And I just couldn't believe that there it was. And I was trying to explain to my son, who's five. And he's like, yeah, just can you open it, please? And hand me that Jar Jar. Um, but it was just an unreal experience. And it took me back to 99. And I just think that that was a time where with all the different streaming services and movies and we think about the future of, of content and stories that was a time that we will never be able to experience anything like that again. And it just so happened to be because of, of star Wars. I, I drank more Pepsi in the summer of 1999 <laughs> than anyone has ever consumed and somehow remained not diabetic because mm-hmm. you could get every different can, you know, Pepsi diet, Pepsi, where they had different characters on them. There was like a secret gold can and a black can. Uh, I went to gas stations literally across the United States <laughs> looking at things, buying 12 packs. I never did get the special can, but man, the thrill of the chase. I mean, I think as Star Wars collectors, we see ourselves as Indiana Jones. Our, our wives may see us as a 40-year-old virgin. I don't know. But that that was just, uh, that was so exciting. I, I love, you're never going to complain for me about The Phantom Menace. I love that movie. And remember, this was a time pre-social media. So right. our fandom to a certain degree, unless you were an Uber nerd and on like discussion forums or Usenet news groups and and really got like into the the depths of of what was the the early part of the internet back then, your your fandom was confined to you and the people who were in your immediate circles. It was a lot more difficult to find others to at least go out and be able to talk about those things unless you were super, super nerdy it's funny though when you were talking about that and it wasn't necessarily phantom menace but i remember um i remember going to and you guys probably never even had this kb toy and hobby was like a big toy store at woodbridge center mall down by where Fortunoff was on the second level across from chick-fil-a and going in there and, and and i remember going back when they were closing and they were like giving stuff away like stuff was like 50 75 percent off and remember the Star Wars, like the micro machines, like the smaller versions, the little, I still have them. I still have like snow speeders and, and um, star destroyers and things like that. And it was the, the thrill of the hunt and the chase. And like you said, trying to find like the special cans or the special edition of whatever um, we all consumed and bought a lot of stuff we probably didn't need. But man, you're right. That was a, uh, it was an incredibly fun time. Are we? I mean, Ryan says his last one. Is this our last one? I mean, I, I've got. I, I have more. I'm. I got I'm, plenty. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly, my original list had twenty eight. So this will be. I'll have no yeah, problem. I, have, I said that was my last official one. I have fourteen honorable mentions underneath it. <laughs> Excellent. You just, you just Excellent. said when. All right. So I'm. I'm just going to say this one now to get this one out too because I'm. I really want to. This one is very special to me. So. August 15th, 2015, at the Disney, at the D23 Expo, Bob Iger announces that there is going to be a Star Wars land. 
Uh, I was watching this live. Lou, you probably were there, but I, I watched it on on my phone. I was laying on the couch. I think it was I think it was a Saturday. I, I don't know for sure, but this was the only time that I I cried, like really cried, because of something Star Wars. I knew there was going to be a Star Wars land, and then they the the art that they showed was of the Millennium Falcon flying into what we would later, much later, find out was going to be Batu. I cried like a baby because I I love, I mean, we all love Disney. Obviously, people listen to WDW Radio love Disney, and that's why they love you so much, Louis, because you're able to take them on your amazing adventures and capture that love. Uh, having worked at Disney World, the college program in 95, 96, and 97, going there as a kid, having a lot of great memories as a kid, I know how special Disney is and how special those theme parks is. And knowing that someday I could bring my children to a Disney theme park that was Star Wars focused and Star Wars centralized made me so ridiculously happy. It, it's, it just consumed me in, in the best, uh, most healthy way possible. It wasn't until 2017 in July that we actually got the name Galaxy's Edge, uh, and more, much more concept art. And, and then, you know, Years later, uh, Lou, you and I got to be at the opening at California, and we got to walk. I got to walk in there side by side with you and James Burns from Jedi News when we saw the Falcon for the first time. And, you know, it was absolutely unforgettable. We, I mean, and I've been to Batu countless times on both coasts. And every time I'm there, I just feel like a, a little kid who has a lot more money than when he was a little kid. And I can buy all this incredible, unique stuff. I think, by the way, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I have eight legacy lightsabers now. I don't don't know. Um, But there's just nothing like that realization. Thank you, Uncle Bob, for saying we're going to create a Star Wars land because, again, Star Wars sets the bar and then blows it out of the water with something even better than I could possibly imagine. Then we're going to get to go to the Halcyon, you know, in the not-too-distant future, so when we revisit this list, that's probably going to come up too. But for now, the D23 Expo and here we're going to have a Star Wars land later called Galaxy's Edge was an absolute, yet again, another game changer for Star Wars. When I was a kid and for a long time growing up, and I, I, I admit this freely and openly, uh, I didn't have a lot of friends, um, but I had a computer and I spent incredible amounts of time playing Star Wars X-Wing, Star Wars TIE Fighter, Dark Forces, the first person shooter. I, I Dark Forces for me was like, this is it. I, I'm in Star Wars. I get to play and I'm grabbing this blaster and going through this world. Galaxy's Edge was the realization of not mine, but so many kids' dreams of wanting to take this thing that we loved that we acted out in our basements, right? You guys are way too young to remember the first lightsabers that they sold, which now in retrospect, obviously they were knockoffs were basically flashlights with long plastic tubes. And they had a colored disc on the bottom and I could see my brother and I beating each other senseless with these plastic lightsabers. And when they broke, we took, the Christmas wrapping tubes and pretended they were lightsabers and created all of these own adventures because we wanted to live in it so desperately. I grew up in a in an, in an old big old Victorian house and I had a finished basement and different parts of our basement were different parts of the Star Wars universe. And me and my brother and a couple of friends sometimes would would play down there imagining we were 
living in this world. Galaxy's Edge brought that to life. And it, it's not in the same place that I imagined. It wasn't Tatooine. It wasn't Dagobah. It wasn't the Death Star or, or the same characters. And it didn't matter because we just wanted to live in that same world. And I know for some people, their complaints early on were, well, there's a disconnect, right, between what maybe the casual fan and other fans knew because it wasn't necessarily from the movies and the characters that they were familiar with. But the first time we saw that full-size Falcon, and I was live when I did it, the tears streaming down my face were real because it's the thing that I never thought I would get to see. And the entire experience from the characters to the data pad to, look, I will never, ever forget the day that I took my son to Savi's workshop for no other reason than to watch him build that lightsaber and see that wide-eyed expression and that grin. And I won't spoil it if you've never done it, but there is that moment that happens and I'm and I'm visibly weeping and I'm not the only dad in there that's doing it because I'm like, we're looking around like, yeah, man, it's cool. I get it. Like we're watching our sons do this. Um, for me, Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire Outpost, the whole... The land is the best attraction in the land. Just being able to be there because it is that realization of everything that we dreamt it could be and more. And Galaxy's Edge was very, very, very high on my list. Yeah, it's you said it's a realization of a lot of people's dreams. And I, I, I make the connection that to me, it's also the realization of what Walt Disney dreamed that Disneyland was supposed to be. I, I think we've talked about this before where... You're the main character in an immersive land where the outside world doesn't exist. And that literally, as soon as you walk through that, you know, I, we're, we're locals here in Orlando. So when you walk through uh, that, that gate, the one here in, in Hollywood studios, it literally, the rest of the park doesn't exist. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different world from the moment you walk around, you know, cast members are in character, all these different things. You are the main character of that story. And that's originally what, Walt wanted. It's why Snow White wasn't in the original Snow White ride, because you were the main character of this story. And so I think it was a realization of of the original dream of what Disneyland could be uh, lived out here. Uh, and on top of that, it takes you. We talked about Lou, you talked about seeing the Star Destroyer going over the screen in 1977 and it being a life changing moment. Now you could go inside a Star Destroyer like you can go there and you're standing inside a Star Destroyer for rise of the resistance. Uh, and so that to me is like, if Disney was going to buy this thing, this is what they need to be doing with it. And they nailed it 100% out of the park. And we haven't even gotten to all of the things they're going to do with 3d lived experience, uh, things you can do with the star Wars galaxy. And on top of that, nothing. I mean, I know the Halcyon is probably going to be great, but nothing will ever top a Ronto rep. So there you go. <laughs> We, uh, we, I like the Cadu ribs better than the Ronto rep, by the way. Oh, I don't know about you that. Know what? I have never done a live review of Docking Bay 7. Gentlemen, hmm. I use that term loosely. When we are together in the same place at the same time, the three of us will get together and do a review of Docking Bay 7. I will hold that for the two of you. Let's do it. Bring your bib. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Bring your appetite and bring your stretchy pants. I'm, I'm there. Right. In the first of all, in the interest of sanity, because I hear you, not you two, you, our friend listening, screaming 
at whatever device, the come on, man, how have you not mentioned this yet? I'm going to take care of you right now, but I'm going to double up because the the two that I feel I need to mention before we sort of go through, well, I, I want to mention the others on your list, but we'll sort of do those a little bit like lightning round style. Um, I, I have to mention these two things. And one is it possibly is number one on my list and the other has to, it bears mentioning and a little bit of discussion and not just a, a, uh, a casual sort of passing by without question. I don't care if you say I see dead people. I don't care if it was really a dude, the greatest plot twist in movie history comes down to four simple words. I am your father. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the story about how only there were three human beings on the planet that knew what that was going to be. Director Irvin Kirshner, George Lucas, and then eventually Mark Hamill was told... Don't worry about what the actor is saying while we're filming. This is going to be dubbed in later on. And I can only imagine he's talked about having to try and keep that secret for so very long. Do you remember? Right. Because because what what Hamill heard was um, you don't know the truth. Obi-Wan killed your father. Right. So that's what everybody on set had believed it was going to be. Only he knew that. Darth Vader was Luke's father. Sorry for the spoiler alert all these decades later. Do you remember when you saw that for the first time? I Like, I do. I remember, and I remember talking to my dad and talking to my brother going, it, it can't, it's a lie. It, it can't be true. Like, this, they're tricking us. And we would sit there and try and have our own sort of mini, you know, internet discussions between the three of us trying to figure it out. Like, are they lying? How this really happened? It was a moment that it like it did. I mean, I'm again not to sort of sort of be overly dramatic, but it did. It changed everything, including the trajectory of where the entire Star Wars story had come from and where it was going next. I think I am your father could very arguably need to almost be number one. My son Mason said, right away, well, dad, you got to say, I am your father. That's going to be your number one. And I do remember it. I remember it perfectly. I remember sitting in the theater watching it. And I remember after Vader said it, I remember not blinking an eye thinking, well, he's lying. He's Darth Vader. He's a bad guy. He's lying. And I was at peace that I saw countless times. I never took it seriously. And then in this book right here, uh, the, Star- the Empire Strikes Back storybook, which is a, a classic book that came out in, in 1980. It says in there, in all caps and in italics, I am your father. And my friend, Ryan Robbins, I remember, I don't know where you are now, Ryan, but I remember you telling me this. Look at that. Would it really be in caps and italics if it wasn't serious? And at that moment, I started to think, well, it must be true. How ironic that later I became an English teacher and had to study things like that professionally. But I, it was such a big deal. And in, in, in an amazing, amazing turn of events, one of the hardest things, I know you both know this, one of the hardest things to do when you're raising your kids is to keep them from the truth of, of Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and the, the lineage there. It's so hard to do. It's on everything. It's just a given. Everybody knows. So I went out of my way 
absurdly so, making sure that Mason didn't find out. And then I'm so happy this happened. When we watched The Empire Strikes Back for the first time, I think he was four or five years old, and I set up my iPhone so that he didn't know I was videoing him. And as soon as Darth Vader says, no, I am your father, Mason looks at me and he goes, he's lying. That's not true, Dad. I couldn't believe he did the exact same thing I did. No coaching, no anything. And I said, no, he's telling the truth. And Mason goes, huh? And it's just, it's so cool that it worked out that way. But yeah, that, I mean, it's hard to argue with that one. That's, that's the mountaintop. And by the way, the Empire Strikes Back, cliffhanger, man. It actually, this and Infinity War ended with the bad guy winning. And that still doesn't really happen because it makes you want to come back for more. And the nice thing about this movie, you had to wait three years to find out. Three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing about the Empire Strikes Back that was that was even more of a uh, a long shot to be successful than the original Star Star Wars because sequels aren't really a thing. That's sequels are generally viewed as less than kind of a joke. Nobody went and saw the sequel. And even I think even Walt Disney back in the day said he had no interest in making sequels to his films. Sequels weren't really nowadays a like, what are you talking about? The modern franchise? Well, you know, this movie coming out. I mean, this could be, it could be like, uh, you know, just a, a random rom-com and people are wondering if it's starting a new cinematic universe nowadays. Like that's a thing, uh, post-credit scenes and all those other things where, where the empire strikes back, the odds were stacked against them because sequels weren't a thing back then. I mean, they existed, but they certainly weren't considered popular, nor were studios. You mentioned it earlier, Lou, people say, uh, you know, George Lucas was like, I want the rights to my sequels. And the studio was like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. You know, nowadays that they would be like, what are you kidding me? You're not getting the rights to the sequels. Uh, and so that that was that movie itself was a risky move. And then the idea that Darth Vader would be Luke's father uh, was a risky move to do to the audience, because like like uh, uh, Dan said, you had to wait three years to find out if that was true or not. And people spent those three years not believing it, but it was in people's mind for three years. I need to know that answer and it's one of the most quoted movie lines incorrectly by the way uh people say luke i am your father it's no i am your father but uh yeah it's that that whole that move that line that storyline and the movie itself the empire strikes back was such a big risk back in 1980 so i i have to bring this up and and for the three of us to just Discuss its importance relatively briefly, just so we can quickly touch on the others that, that are on the list. And I would almost put this next one in in the top three, in the top five, because, and I don't, I will not certainly speak for anybody else, but I know for myself, and I know that I can't be alone, this is the thing that saved Star Wars for me. And what I mean by that is, Look, you know, there was a very clear falling off for me over time. It's not you, it's me. From the films I desperately wanted to love and I just didn't grasp onto as much as I did. I didn't get to watch Clone Wars. I didn't watch Rebels. I didn't watch a lot of the other stuff. I didn't have time to read the books. And and my Star Wars fandom started to wane a little bit. And I realized I was just very just right, wrong, or otherwise, very deeply entrenched in the original trilogy because it's where my emotions sat. That all changed. And Dan, you were actually part of this. Because you and I, the day that, the minutes after we met at Star Wars Celebration, we sat in the back 
of a hushed auditorium as the first clips for the Mandalorian were being shown. And Filoni, Favreau, the cast was on stage. There was this like visceral emotional reaction. I was like, oh my God, what did I just see? Like, I don't remember a place losing their marbles the way that they did as when that trailer premiered. Maybe when the Giants won a home playoff game in like 1986. That's about the only other time I remember that thing. But that day, that moment, forget just Star Wars fandom. That day and that moment helped secure 10 million signups for Disney Plus on day one. Which, again, who knew pandemic coming, the thing, like, and what Disney Plus meant. But the Mandalorian was a game changer because you didn't have the thing that was different about this and much like Galaxy Edge was you didn't and don't have to be a quote unquote Star Wars fan to enjoy it. Um, it instantly captivated audiences. And I think because it went back to that original formula that made me love A New Hope so very much. It was the basics of the Western and the Kurosawa and the Eastwood and John Wayne and all those sort of classic elements that not only filled my emotional Star Wars cup, like overfilled it, but even just casual pop culture consumers, you know, like Baby Fishmouth, Baby Yoda swept this nation and swept the world and it tapped into the cultural zeitgeist. It was masterful in terms of its release. I give Im- immeasurable amounts of credit and brilliance to not leaking out the toys before we saw him on screen. They lost gazillions worth of dollars, but the payoff and the the long tail payoff is going to be and continues to be um, immeasurable. Um, again, Favreau, look, I, I the three Fs, like if there's a Mount Rushmore of storytelling, it's Favreau, Filoni, and Feige for me. Like just put them up on a, a you know a giant granite thing, and and that's where they should be because. The Mandalorian, the impact of the Mandalorian was beyond the confines of the Mandalorian. I think it, and and you guys can maybe speak to this even more. I think the Mandalorian gave Disney the confidence to say, hey, we can really sort of stretch our creative wings a little bit and spread them out and start to do some of these other things like the Kenobi series and the Andor series and Ahsoka series and what's coming with, you know, the Taika Waititi and all that, like because of the reaction and the response, not just from the uber nerdy, hardcore Star Wars fans, but the world as a whole to the Mandalorian. It's the first thing I remember, guys, that families started to gather around the TV set for again in ways that I don't think they have done in a long, 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 long time. Thank goodness to Disney Plus for making the decision not to drop all the episodes at once because you had 
that appointment viewing that, like we said, the traditional Sunday night, you know, Disney's showing a movie on TV or, or what have you, but it, it created that atmosphere. Thankfully, by the way, ironically, I don't know if it's ironic, but in 1979, when they're working on the Empire Strikes Back, uh, George Lucas wanted a super trooper, like a, a stormtrooper that was a cut above a regular stormtrooper. So Joe Johnson, who would later direct Captain America, the first Avenger, he designed what we know now as the Boba Fett armor, which of course is the Mandalorian's armor, just with a different paint job. So there's already a mystique there. And then Dave Filoni, who Ryan talked about uh, a little bit ago about his importance to Star Wars and to film and, and storytelling, he came in, he is kind of like the Star Wars guru. He learned everything from George Lucas, who passed on his knowledge and his passion, his love of storytelling to Filoni, who already had it because he worked on Avatar, not the, the Blue People Avatar, but the animated Avatar before Jim Cameron came on and did his thing with his version of a different kind of avatar. So Filoni did that. And then Favreau came in. He, he proposed this idea. I got this cool idea for a Mandalorian show. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy loved it. And you're right, Lou, when, when that was shown at Star Wars Celebration Chicago, and I know Ryan, you were there too. That was another game changer because people were so excited for a gritty, more mature take on Star Wars. And you're right, that payoff of not realizing that there was going to be a child that looked like Yoda, I will never forget that moment. That is why, and the same with the end of season two of The Mandalorian, when you have a surprise and it's told through the Star Wars lens, it's like nothing in the galaxy. It really is. It's just, it's the best. That's why I can't stand spoilers. That's why Coffee with Kenobi is speculation and spoiler-free because I want those moments and I hope we continue to get them. Yeah. And, and yeah, I agree 100%. And Lou, you mentioned too about this, this series opening doors and, 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 and really allowing Lucasfilm to explore. And you mentioned the the pandemic, what I, what we were always as Star Wars fans and Dan and I who talk about this like every week. And we're wondering, you know, I think the first three movies, seven, eight, and nine, and even solo and rogue one were kind of baked into the cake when Disney bought Star Wars and a theme park that's baked into the cake. But once those three movies and those two spinoffs and the park is open, what does Star Wars look like as we head into the, you know, we're now 20% done with the 21st century. Uh, so what, what does that look like late and deep into the 21st century? What does Star Wars for now the like millionth generation look like? What do they do? Because movies, you know, do they, they're not going to do a 10 and 11, 12. They're not going to have this, you know, Marvel is continuing to tell a continuing story they found their identity what is lucasfilm's identity going to be and between the pandemic changing movie theaters and pushing back the movie and some of the things movies that they've announced are now kind of put down to the side what the mandalorian allowed them to do was realize what their identity was and we remember last year in december when disney had that investors day and we all 2020 was a weird time we all gather around our phones to watch a disney investors day like it was you know, the Phantom Menace in 1999, everyone was like wearing their Disney investor t-shirts. And uh, I think I went out and bought a Bob Iger um, action figure when after, after I got done watching that Investor's Day. But if you remember the Lucasfilm part of that, there was 10 series announced in really only about two movies. I mean, there was there was two confirmed movies and 10 series. And if if you would have said back in 2018, that's where they were going, I would have disagreed with you. And then The Mandalorian happens in 2019 they realize this is our identity. Let's tell these individual, sometimes connected stories where we just go and do a six episode uh, Kenobi series and let's do 
a 12 episode Andor series for Cassian Andor. Let's just tell that story. And there's nowhere else to go with those, but it, that's where our storytelling is going to exist for the near future and beyond. I mean, now think about all of those things that the Mandalorian has branched out. And that's because it was kind of, it allowed Kathleen Kennedy and Disney and Lucasfilm to find their identity. And their identity for now is going to be on Disney Plus series, uh, including still with, we talked about Lucasfilm animation, things like the Bad Batch and other animated things coming. Uh, even next week, uh, you know, September 22nd, there's going to be a Star Wars anime hitting Disney Plus on Wednesday, September uh, 22nd. So, I mean, they, they found their identity on Disney Plus and it was kind of a match made in heaven there. Disney Plus got 10 million subscribers because of The Mandalorian. And because of Disney Plus, Lucasfilm now found their identity for what they want their next chapter of storytelling to be. Yeah, Disney Plus, and I and I think credit, you're right, has to be given to The Mandalorian. It It has changed the way we consume content and that content is being created because like you said, it doesn't have to be these major you know, five-year projects to create, you know, these gigantic cinematic, you know, movies, they're able to release these stories in this way. I, I love, I agree with you, the fact that we have the water cooler conversation back again. We have this entire week to talk about these things. And the way that Disney Plus has been dropping series after series, whether it's Loki, What If, you know, Star Wars Visions. I don't know if you guys have seen any of the the, the screeners or not yet, like, it's crazy the amount of good stuff and there's always something new to look forward to and then we can go back to and watch again at our convenience, on our couch, with our snacks. Um, I, I think time and history will look back on just how important The Mandalorian was to, I don't want to, I think it's, it's more than just fandom, but just... Um, the way consumers are able to uh, to to take in content. Yeah. And with all the streaming wars, every streaming service is trying to find their Mandalorian. It's it's really dictated what all major studios are trying to. We need our version of the Mandalorian and no one's no one's found it yet. And I don't know if they ever will. So but you know yeah. what? The, the people that benefit is us. Right. Because look at the because the bar is has been raised so very high. Our expectations have been raised so very high that it's hard. People, you know, the other services, as well as the, the creators have to sort of up their game because that is the standard that's been set. So what needs to happen is they need to film an episode of The Mandalorian in Batu. The three of us are available to be extras. We'll just be waiting in Oga's Cantina for Din Djarin to walk on by. We're ready. Let's do it. Listen, there you go. I'm, I'm just... All right. Lou's so, already got an Ewok costume. It's he's set. I'm wearing it right now. <laughs> so hot in here. Um, all right. So in the, in the interest of relative brevity, which we have blown by because this is we're having just too much fun. Give me each of you just very quickly list through and, and brief discussion on five. Give me five of your honorable mentions. Just five. All right. Well, um, let me mark off these other 10 then. Um, but no, um, Really, the, the the one that that I mentioned a little bit earlier, but just just a quick mention uh, is is the Obi Wan Luke hut scene, um, where where Obi Wan is talking to Luke about his father, and you got this. It's it's kind of the moment where the farm boy starts the path to no longer being a farm boy, uh, and I think Alec Guinness in that moment, if he doesn't sell that, maybe Star Wars doesn't doesn't get taken seriously. You have this 
Sir Alec Guinness sitting there and he's telling the story about knowing Luke's father. And it's, you could just tell there's like emotion in his face and we don't know anything about it. I mean, literally the universe doesn't exist yet. Alec Guinness is sitting there and you can feel the weight of his words. And I think that helps sell it to the audience. So I just, I, I will watch that scene, um, you know, just on its own. I'll pull that up on Disney plus just cause it's so, so powerful. Um, Alec Guinness's performance. Um, and so much, so much has been built out of that one conversation between Obi-Wan and Luke. Uh, and you get to see the lightsaber for the first time and everything else. So, um, and then really, uh, I had, uh, the opening of rise of the resistance on my list, which was December of 2019. Uh, and I think I wrote it on that one preview day, nine times in a row. Um, and I could not get enough of it. And I do think that is going to be the future of theme park attractions. I think like every company is trying to find their Mandalorian for their streaming service. I think, uh, theme parks around the world including Disney um, are trying to find their rise of the resistance or, or what's next. Cause I don't, I mean, I just went on that recently and I just don't understand how it's possible, how that they created that. So two, my last two honorable mentions was the, the Obi-Wan Luke hut scene and, and a new hope and the opening of rise of the resistance, because it was uh, it still to me is now the bar for all theme park attractions until someone uh, likely Disney is going to top it. Anyway, very quickly, how cool was it when we were able to go up to that second level that day and do the live show from that vantage point that guests are not normally allowed to go? We were given permission to go up there and broadcast from up there. And we were like kids in the candy store just being able to to sort of look over this place that we loved so much from such a unique spot. Yeah, when we go when we go to to Hollywood Studios and to Galaxy's Edge, my wife, if we're with friends or with family or whatever, she goes, "When we get up here, he's going to tell you that that one time he got to go up there." And and she's like, "I, I I've heard the story fifteen times." She's like, "I saw the video. I know you were up there." And I ever I still to this, I mean, that was that was two years ago. I still go, "Hey, right there, I've been up there." But you see where Ray and Chewie are? I was there, and they were like, you know, oh really? It's it just I I can't I tell that story every time. Uh, my honorable mentions uh, really quickly is um, Star Wars Celebration. Uh, the first one was in Denver. It was an absolute disaster as far as the weather. It was raining horribly the entire time, but it ended up growing and growing into this incredible thing. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, we'd just, I think you've been on the show before, Lou, but uh, that's where you and I met, Star Wars Celebration in Chicago. I think, Ryan, is that where you met Lou as well? Yep, yep. That's yeah. where I met both of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought so. And so that and that it's brought this great community. Now they're gonna be basically every other year between that and the D23 Expo. But it's like I'm not necessarily a big convention guy, but I love Star Wars celebration. I made so many lifelong friends who become more like family to me because of celebration. Um, George Lucas, let's go back to him. He's pretty important to Star Wars. When he first meets Ralph McQuarrie, and then they started to collaborate together, the look and the design, the aesthetics. Of course, was in Star Wars, the Empire, and Jedi. It later influenced Doug Chang with the prequel trilogy. Uh, those designs ended up in Rebels, Clone Wars, and Batu in the marketplace. There's so many aspects of Star Wars, including in the Mandalorian as well, that are because of Ralph McQuarrie and his innovative designs. Uh, and then George, uh, and he's working on his fourth or fifth draft of A New Hope, and he finds a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's written by Joseph Campbell, who was a, who was a philosopher and, a, and a, a, he's, he's a professor of linguistics and mythology. And this was the idea of the hero, the monomyth. And it, it's, uh, it was, people sometimes think that Joseph Campbell 
is a big reason for the creation of Star Wars. It's not exactly true. That's a kind of a, a revisionist history, but it certainly was an inspiration for George. And you'll see the monomyth in just about any good story of any kind, of any nature. So that was a really big deal too. I also want to point out that the grit of George Lucas making A New Hope is, is kind of a Herculean feat, almost a Sisyphean task, really. The amount of people who told him no, the amount of times he had to continue to go and borrow money, um, him being told no, it can't be possible. So he creates ILM. He creates special effects for A New Hope. Uh, and that, again, that's insp- inspiring, inspirational to me. And then because of his incredible friendship with Steven Spielberg, who saw THX1138 and had made 15 movies at the time and said, well, this guy is, I am envious of this George Lucas guy. I got to meet him. They become lifelong friends, create Indiana Jones, blah, blah, blah. But George, because of Steven Spielberg, you know, the two collaborate and introduce one another to John Williams, to Harrison Ford. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And then you already mentioned it a little bit, May 25th, 1977. Talk about a day long. Remember, it's when A New Hope comes out, changes everything. Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned Macquarie and and, and his original artwork is gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. Without him, we don't have Star Wars and all the things that come from it. Look, even, you know, Macquarie, I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. Macquarie did a lot of the original stuff for Battlestar Galactica, which clearly the original 78 version was heavily inspired by Star Wars. But and all the things that continue, again, the, the very, very long tail domino effect that came from his visions and and his drawings um and i agree with you about the 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 conventions and and what fandom has done and to your point about george lucas a lot of things that you said george was doing were very much in parallel to things that walt disney was doing right Mm -hmm. if walt if the technology wasn't there he invented it if it if there wasn't a company out there that had it he made it and he you know got the best from his people in order to to set what would ultimately be the standard. Um, for me, I, I have I have three quick honorable mentions because I'm going to leave out the first time we see the Adats appear on Hoth, which are incredible, or when we see Vader unmasked for that split two seconds when he's in his little pod, his little chamber, and it's coming down, and we're like, wait, what? What's going on under the mask? I'm leaving those off, but I snuck them in because... We cannot have this list without mentioning, number one, the cantina scene. Um, Incredibly creative, full of surprises, characters we never saw before. Obi-Wan Kenobi looking a little bad, doing his his thing. Um, The introduction of Han Solo. What the heck's an aluminum falcon? Um, That scoundrel that we meet for the first time. Um, And the continuing nerd controversy controversy over who shot first yes Greedo. as a matter of fact i was just going to see your boss tell jabba that I'm continues low these many years okay. later number two uh, how have we not mentioned the lightsaber it's not random or clumsy as a blaster um i, I love how it calls back to um the samurai and, and the katana and and you know swashbuckling and 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 sword play um you know even even sort of Vader's headgear, and, and it's, it has inspirations from, from that samurai helmet and face mask. But the lightsaber, this laser sword that, you know, yes, there's been sort of obscure references maybe before we've never seen. It changed everything. 
I mean, every kid knows the sound. Every kid has pretended to play with a lightsaber. Every kid like Dan has walked into Batu and bought 15 legacy sabers, whatever it might be. We've made lightsabers out of the things that we had at home because we loved the idea of of swordplay. And I love, and I do, I agree with Obi-Wan. I, I do, there's um, there's an art and there's an elegance to, to swordplay like that. And gentlemen, how can we have this list without talking about, once again, because there are clearly so many, and I, I need a thes- I need a thesaurus so I can stop saying words like iconic, but the scene and it's it is more than one scene, but the trench scene and the Death Star explosion and Han Solo coming back and his wonderful redemption arc and his why we love you so very much that thirteen or so minute scene almost there is the most iconic space battle scene in movie history and lest we forget four and a half decades ago that the technology or lack thereof that was used to create these special effects in you're all clear kid now let's blow this thing and go home with ships and, and sets that were built you know using pieces from model kits and all these sort of you know, reconditioned things. Even the um, the Death Star. Like I never realized this. That the Death Star, the trench itself, was a happy little accident, like a like a like a Ross tree. Because when Colin Cantwell was trying to put it together, he had this this mold for the Death Star, and he didn't plan on it having a trench. But when he was working with the mold, that the the two halves had shrunk at the point where they met in the middle, and and rather than fixing the mistake. He suggests to George Lucas that he has this trench and, you know, and the rest, as they say, is history. But that scene, everything that it represents, um, Luke's faith in the Force and Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo's redemption, um, you know, good triumphing over evil and the big bad Death Star blowing up. How can we not, how can we leave it off a list of important and iconic Star Wars moments? Great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Yeah. I haven't said any better myself. I do want to point out, this is a quick rewind. I love that you made it when Harry met Sally reference uh, in a Star Wars conversation. Well done. <laughs> Listen, I mean, Carrie Fisher, she was in both. I, uh, you know, I'll throw in a little random obscura that only, I guess, you and I will probably pick up on. So. Mm. Remember that part where I said I didn't get out very much? Yeah, it's true. Uh, No, it's not true. It's impossible. No, Luke, it's true. I I think in wrapping this up, and it's it's a conversation that can't be wrapped up because Star Wars is this living, breathing phenomenon. It it is not just a series of movies. Uh, I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that Star Wars is a lifestyle. I mean, it really is. It, It is affected people in ways that I don't think any other film franchise or any other individual film has ever. And I don't think that there's many, if any other things that you can say that about. I don't think, I think Marvel is getting there. I don't think it's quite there yet um, because I want to give all the deference that is due to star Wars. Um, And, and you know, much like Walt Disney could never have envisioned 
where this this all starting with the mouse and everything that came from it would eventually lead to. Uh, I'm sure George Lucas could never have imagined what Star Wars would ultimately become. Um, Ryan and Dan, any sort of final thoughts in in tying this all up with a bow? I am surprised, and and this is this is me sneaking another honorable mention on the way out because uh, I thought Dan would mention. Dan and I have talked about this that our I think one of our mutual favorite scenes is the Luke and. Uh, Yoda episode eight scene uh, from the last Jedi. Um, and it really, you know, we talk about, you said Star Wars is a lifestyle to me. One of the, the special effects, the music, all of the things, the fact, you know, the Batu, the, all of the, all of the things that make Star Wars great. One of the things that above all is that there's a lesson involved in almost everything. There's, there's moments like there's lines I use from Star Wars that help dictate my life. Right. In episode one, Qui-Gon says your focus determines your reality. And in a, in a world full of noise, that's such a true statement that I try to live by. The, what I focus on determines my reality. And that came from George Lucas. And then I think about episode eight, and I think about the fact that Luke and Yoda are sitting there together. Uh, and, and this was his master so many years ago, and he's still learning from him. There's still more to learn. And he, he says failure can be a lesson. Failure can be a way to something to learn from. And so ultimately to wrap it up on my end, all these great moments, all these shared things with my dad and, and the three of us, we all have shared star Wars experiences together. And it's, it's why I'm friends with so many people. It's something I talk about every single week. My, my debit card is BB eight from chase everywhere I go. I was there this, this morning, I was at a gas station. So, Hey man, cool card. It's a lifestyle, but to me, it's a lifestyle too, because the lessons that I learned from star Wars, I apply to my everyday life. So I'm a father. So I think when I, when I messed up as a kid or when I mess up now, I think about how I can use that to teach my son and my daughter the failure I have. Cause I learned that kind of, you know, I knew that, but I learned it from Yoda in episode eight. He's sitting there telling Luke that you messed up. But you can learn. You can use this to teach Ray something. And and when Qui Gon tells tells young know, young Anakin, your focus determines your reality. And so Star Wars is a lifestyle. And all these moments, with every moment I mentioned and we mentioned, a memory is attached. And it's such an integral part of a lot of our lives. And 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 so I I just think all of these moments mean something to me. And Star Wars does impact my life, even down to the idea that some of the lessons that are learned, I try to apply to my everyday life. I agree a, a thousand percent, um, and I think that's, that's a great takeaway too. Although I have to assume that your wife is probably tired of her saying to you, "Like, oh, Ryan, I love you," and you're like, "I know." <laughs> like, if you Dude, say, I, I love you back, you just keep saying, "I know." She uh, she is still fighting me on buying the uh, the "I love you, I know" shirts that they sell at Disney Springs at the uh, the Star Wars location, and uh, but you know what it's. I'll keep working on it. I'll get one for you and Dan, and you guys can decide when you walk through Batu together who wears what shirt. Well, this, this it depends on the day, how we're feeling. <laughs> I love you. I know. Well, gosh. I mean, Star Wars is a lifestyle. It's certainly my lifestyle. I think I'm going to get probably a little emotional here, but I know I'm in good company with um, the good people of WDW Radio. So Star Wars for me taught me something that I think Luke has to learn too. And that is, it's okay to be yourself. I mean, Ray struggles with this for a long time in the sequel trilogy, but finding comfort in your own skin, being unabashedly yourself and being who you're meant to be and who you're supposed to be, in addition to who you want to be, I feel like Star Wars teaches that lesson to these characters trying to find their roles in the galaxy, their roles as people, who they want 
to be how they want to achieve that, what kind of choices they want to make and how they shape their destiny, you know, both found destiny and a destiny that is created from a power that you can't necessarily see, but it, it's tangible and it's real and it connects us together. That's one thing. And when I, when I, when I give presentations or talk with people or when I speak with my students, I, what I tell them is, look, at the end of the day, because of course, one of my things at school is I'm the Star Wars teacher. Yes. Among other things, yes, I do teach some Star Wars as well. What I say to them is at the end of the day, I don't care if you like Star Wars. It doesn't bother me in the least. There's plenty for me to enjoy it no matter what. What I care about is that you find your passion and find who you are and you be unabashedly yourself because that is something that Star Wars gave me. And I'll and I'll wrap this up in my own little uh, galaxy wielding bow with when we were planning our wedding, I, I wanted it to be, you know, classy and whatever and everything that my wife wanted to be. I, it took a long time to find her. I didn't get married until I was 39 years old. And we were, the one thing we couldn't decide on was music for when we left the altar. You may now kiss the bride, leave the theater, leave the altar, the theater. And so we're at this woman's house and she's playing these different classics and nothing's really landing. And so I get my iPhone out and I say, well, let's, what about this? What do you think of this, Deanna? So I play the throne room music from A New Hope when they get their medals. And Deanna listens to it. And the woman playing the music listens to it. And the woman goes, that's nice. And Deanna looks and she goes, I like that. Is that Star Wars? And I said, yes. And she goes, well, let's use that. So you fast forward to the day of the wedding. You may now kiss the bride. People in that church knew how hard it was for me to find my bride because I wasn't settling. They play that music. There's this combination in the church of laughter and tears because they knew that I found my Princess Leia, I found my soulmate. And the fact that she was cool enough to have that music playing as we walked out of that church was like the greatest victory I could have ever possibly had. Probably the way Luke felt when he finally got his medal too. And man, you want to talk about a lifestyle, that that says it all for me right there. You know, I'd say that that's an impressive story, but for my wedding... The, the song that we had played was Just One More Round, Friend, Then Homeward Bound, Friend. Don't forget me in your dreams, Just One More Song, Friend. It is, of course, the lovely B. Arthur singing for hours during the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> Just one more round, friend, Then homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. Just one more song, friend. Way to kill the mood, Mangello. <laughs> Listen, I uh, I mask my pain with laughter. So <laughs> not that I have any pain. I just had to. Well, how can we not mention the Star Wars holiday special? Um, we could all. We could probably also do the top ten cringiest moments in Star Wars history. The Star Wars holiday special would have many droids. Would have other than the introduction of Boba Fett, droids would probably have, um, and some of the cartoons would have some of their own, but I agree with everything you said in terms of, of what Star Wars means to so many people, and I think over the last few years, because of things like Galaxy's Edge and because of um, The Mandalorian on, on Disney+, Plus, um, I think that Star Wars, there's been there's a new generation and a new extension of Star Wars fandom, and I think everybody, like Disney, sort of has a connection to Star Wars in some form or fashion, a small were great and i would love to know we would love to know from you who's listening what 
you think some of the most important moments in Star Wars history are. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys. We're going to I'm going to aggregate our lists. I'm going to put a poll up in the clubhouse sharing not just the things that we included on our list, but if you have something that we didn't include, you can add your own entry. And I want you to come and vote on it and see where the list sort of lies in terms of what you agree. You'll be able to vote on more than one. You can pick a few in terms of what you feel is the most important or iconic moment. That'll be in the clubhouse over at www.radio.com slash clubhouse after this podcast airs. But for more Star Warsy goodness, there is not one but two incredibly smart, talented, passionate fans that share their love of Star Wars with you in a lot of different ways. So Ryan and Dan, please tell people where they can find you, um, both online, podcast, social, uh, if they want to connect with you. Yeah, uh, so I host the the Force Cast, uh, which is the official podcast of theforce.net. Uh, which has been around since 1997. Uh, so it has, it's got a lot of, a lot of interesting history there. Uh, you can go to our individual website, forcecast.net. Uh, from there, you can find links to uh, all of our Apple podcasts and where you can find your podcast. And then on social media, uh, the Forcecast, just search it on there. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, and we are, uh, we're, we're talking star Wars every week, uh, including you can hear voices like both Dan and Lou, uh, who have come on and told their star Wars stories with me as well. So, uh, forcecast.net, uh, check out the forcecast. As for me, you can find me twice a week on coffee with Kenobi.com. I have a live show every Monday night at seven o'clock PM central standard time on www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash live. Think of me as the the appetizer to lose live show later in the week, but we are just, of course, exclusively Star Wars based. Coffee with Kenobi is available on all Star Wars pod catchers, Star Wars pod catchers, pod catchers in general every Thursday. So we've got the Facebook show that I also released the audio version of on the podcast feed, as well as our regular Coffee with Kenobi podcast. You can find us all over social media Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, etc. As for me personally, at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R on Twitter, on Instagram, I'm Dan Z C W K, And I also write for StarWars.com pretty regularly, as well as occasionally on IGN. And I've got a couple of books out right now. I have the Star Wars book written by myself, Pablo Hidalgo and Cole Horton. Think of it as an analytical look at the canonical Star Wars that has been out for about a year. And then in November... The Star Wars Character Encyclopedia update is coming out that I was one of the contributors on as well. Impressive. Most impressive. Thank you very much. Um, This was a lot of fun. I sincerely appreciate you. I look forward to seeing you guys again, eating with you at Docking Bay 7. All right, take me out with the most iconic, your favorite or most iconic line from any Star Wars thing period ryan and dan go uh his name is boss nass he is the king gungan uh that that banished jar jar uh and he says simply you have to do it in the voice by the way i can't he, he's basically a huge frog with a hat but he does say at one point misa like this <laughs> that's pretty good that's Oh, man. Uh, uh, make sure you put that on the poll. Put that on the poll. I know it's going to win, <laughs> but make sure you put that on the poll. Boss Nass, look him up. On a serious note, I would say when Quagant says feel, don't think, use your instincts. But on a fun play, place, I would say, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. 
Thank you, Tauntauns. I uh, I almost did a really, really, really bad Watto impression, but I'll save that for another time. What, you think you're some kind of Jedi waving your hand around like that? I'm a Toydarian. Mind tricks gonna work on me. Ryan Donahoe, Dan's ear, thank you uh, both so, so very much. How has nobody said may the force be with you? Hmm. Republic credits? I think you just did. And like a good Catholic, you're supposed to say, and also with you. And with your spirit. And may the Schwartz be with you. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge and enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. This week's trivia contest is brought to you by you. It really is, because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you literally help bring every episode of WW Radio to life, every live broadcast from the park, the contests, giveaways, they are all thanks to, because of, and for you. You can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month and get cool, exclusive rewards every single month, like scavenger hunts, group video calls, access to our private Facebook group, shirts, stickers, magic band covers, monthly care packages, and much more. And don't forget that by being part of the nation, you directly help our Dream Team project, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. To find out more or join the nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I went to and covered live the opening of Space 220. You can still find the live video replay, complete walkthrough, and full experience at facebook.com slash Radio. But I asked you to tell me last week, what attraction did Mission Space replace? I know that too soon, maybe, because this touched a lot of you on a very deep emotional level, because like you, I too miss Horizons, which closed on January 9th, 1999. I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, last week you were playing for an exclusive WW Radio pin and keychain, which you can only get by winning the trivia contest. Thanks to all of you who entered, got this one correct, and last week's winner, randomly selected, is Kelly Ryan. So, Kelly, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So because we're talking Star Wars, we have to make this one Star Wars related, or is it? Because when Disney was looking to build a motion simulator attraction back when it was the Disney MGM Studios, Star Wars wasn't actually the first movie Disney thought to base the attraction on. Your question this week is to tell me, what was it? What was the first movie Disney considered and started going down the planning pathway? And I'll give you a hint. A personal favorite and guilty pleasure of mine. You have until Sunday, October 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there, and tell me what was the first movie Disney considered for their new motion simulator attraction at the Disney MGM Studios. And again, you're going to play for the pin, the keychain, and a bonus mystery prize. So good luck and have fun. Oh, and one more thing. Stay tuned to my Instagram this week at Instagram.com slash as I'm going to have a special no trivia required giveaway specifically for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. I'll give you a hint. You 
can't buy it in the parks. You can't buy it online. In fact, it's not something that was ever really released to the public before, but goes back to the early days of pre-planning for Walt Disney World. Stay tuned. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I understand and appreciate how valuable your time is, and I am so grateful that you spend and share some of it with me. Please don't forget to share your most important Star Wars moment. could even be something that's just personal to you. By being part of the community and conversation and sharing your thoughts over in the WW Radio Clubhouse on Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can also connect with me elsewhere online. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram. LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Also make sure you like the WW Radio page at facebook.com slash WW Radio and turn on notifications both in the clubhouse and on the page. This way you'll get notified whenever I go live, not just every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, but especially this coming week as I'm going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, not just on Friday, October 1st, but the Wednesday and Thursday before in Epcot and Magic Kingdom. And a very cool surprise event coming up on Tuesday, September 28th. Again, I'll be sharing it not just live on Facebook, but on my Instagram stories at Instagram.com slash If you are going to be in the parks on October 1st, I will be doing our meet of the month on Friday, October 1st in Magic Kingdom at 2 p.m. at the Tomorrowland Terrace. I keep calling it the Noodle Station, but the Tomorrowland Terrace Restaurant in the upper level. Again, from 2 to 3.30 p.m., anyone and everyone is welcome. Come by yourself. Bring the whole family. It's, of course, free and family-friendly. You can find out more by visiting the events page at www.radio.com events. There you'll also find out about our upcoming WW Radio group cruises, including our Marvel Day at Sea this coming February, our inaugural cruise June 20th on the Disney Wish, as well as our December 5th Very Merry Time group cruise also on the Disney Wish. Again, to find out more, RSVP and or get a free no obligation quote from our friends over at mousefantravel.com you can visit www.radio.com slash events also I almost forgot I'm also going to be live from New York Comic Con my first time going so incredibly excited Thursday October 7th through Saturday October 10th again stay tuned to Instagram stories as well as live coverage on Facebook Quick thanks to some of the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family. Once again, I appreciate your friendship and support and help, and I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members like Jacqueline, just Jacqueline, like Cher, Brittany Pritchard, Sabrina McDonald, Jamie Kersey, and Jane Ben from the United Kingdom. Again, to find out more, be part of the nation and support our Dream Team project, you can go to www.radio.com support. If you are looking to turn what you love into what you do, your blog into your business, there are now just seven spots left for my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World, November 13th and 14th. I have extended the $100 off early bird special for both the work Weekend Workshop and the optional 10-person Mastermind Monday. You can save $100 off each of your tickets. Go to lumangelo.com slash momentum. Learn more about the event and how we're going to share practical and tactical strategies inspired by the Disney parks and other entrepreneurs and presenters are going to share lessons, tools, and resources and everything from email marketing to productivity, time management, community building, audio, video, live, tools, networking, overcoming entrepreneurial challenges, the future of social, and much, much more. Again, lumangelo.com slash momentum. 
And if you can't make it to this year's event, that's okay. You can find out elsewhere on the site how I may be able to help you by working with you one-on-one. Or I do have a couple of spots open for my Tuesday night group mastermind calls as well. And finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you. And all I ask is that if you like the show, and I hope that you do, please help spread the word. Tell a friend to listen and subscribe. And if you can, share a link to this or your favorite episode on social. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. It is so incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like The People Mover Is My Jam. We just bought it because it is my jam as well. Who says, Lou never fails to bring me joy. On a whim one day, I wanted to find a podcast about Disney to listen to. I found Lou's. Been loving every episode ever since. Between the history and the background he provides, the great way he conducts interviews, thank you, the food reviews that make me feel like I'm really there, all the tips and tricks, his podcast is top-notch, he covers every aspect of Disney, and there's something for everyone, and oh, we can't forget his eternal optimism, choose the good, that is infectious and inspiring, I've never been disappointed with an episode, and look forward to all the future topics he's going to cover, thank you Lou for all that you do, P.S., Make sure to check out the live broadcast too. They're awesome. People Mover is my jam. You are my jam as well. Thank you so very much for that. Again, just search for WW Radio in Apple Podcasts, even if that's not your podcast player of choice. And when you're done, please come and check all the great stuff we have over at www.radio.com and be part of the community and conversation. And don't forget to join me this and every Wednesday night for WW Radio Live. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope this show has brought not just a little bit of Disney, or in this week's case, Star Wars, magic to your day and your week, but maybe a little bit of positivity, a little bit of inspiration to always choose the good and find the good in everything and everybody you encounter and be the good because positivity, I promise you, is contagious. And you really do have the power to make the world a better place one person, one day at a time. I love you. I appreciate you. I cannot wait to see you this week in the parks and online to celebrate Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. I really hope that this coming week is your best week ever. So until next time, see ya. I thoroughly enjoyed the Star Wars uh, Top 10 just about two weeks ago. And my favorite memory about it is when I was about seven years old, I'm 44 now, I went to Orlando for the first time and I went into Star Tours, and it was such a great moment for me to see that firsthand. I fell in love with engineering. Actually, I became a software engineer. And I remember coming out of Star Tours, and I bought my first ever book in English, which was the Star Wars, uh, just the four, five, six episode. And it's, it's such a great memory for me because it was like the the start of my falling in love with Star Wars as a, as a whole universe and also of engineering with all the robots and, and things they have. Thanks for the show. It's an awesome show. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flowertown, Pennsylvania. I just finished listening to the first uh, round one of your guys' top 10 Star Wars moments. So it got me thinking about mine um, and my favorite Star Wars movie. I have two favorite Star Wars movies. I love Return of the Jedi and the Ewoks. Um, and I love Rogue One. So I think my favorite character is Jin from Rogue One. I love how she tried to 
find her dad and avenge his death and all of that and tried to tell everybody that he really was a good guy. Um, and that fight on Scarif is amazing at the end of that movie. I thought it was wonderful how they all, how they all sacrifice themselves to save everybody and get those Death Star plans delivered. Loved it. And then, and then, and then this, I have thought about this for years and I just, in researching it, found out that it's on Disney Plus and I'm going to watch it. So when I was nine, I was obsessed, obsessed. You did hear me say that Return of the Jedi is one of my favorite movies. I was obsessed with the Ewok adventure, the battle for Endor and Caravan of, what was the other one? Oh, anyway, I can't remember. I can't even read my own writing. Isn't that ridiculous? Um, but that little girl, Kindle, and she was best friends with Wicket, and they're trying to save it all. I watched it a million times, and then I forgot all about it. But then when I bring it up, nobody knows what I'm talking about. But I found it on Disney+, Plus, so I know what I'm watching. So if anybody out there remembers Ewok Adventures from 1984, I was nine. It's a off from um, The Moon of Endor and Return of the Jedi. Um, anyway, that's all I have to say. I'm rambling on. Have a wonderful night, everybody, and uh, hopefully I will see you all in the box on Wednesday nights. I know it's the clubhouse. I keep calling it the box, just like we call Disney Studios MGM. It will always be known as the box slash clubhouse. Love you guys. Make someone smile. Take care. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Darlene Nagy, formerly of West Seneca, New York, and the trainer of my next half marathon. I am 136 days away from the Day at Sea Marvel cruise with you, and I am so excited. Can't wait to see all of our family, friends from the group. Have a magical day. Stay safe.